so good to see you and glad that you are here with us, whether you're online or here in person. And I'm excited to let you know that we're going to begin a three-week sermon series. It's entitled Christian Living. Now, you know we normally take books of the Bible and we walk through them verse by verse, and at times we we stop and we pause and and we uh, deal with something culturally, or uh, this opportunity has arisen to be able to do that. Uh, Be in prayer for our pastor and his family as they continue to travel um, due to a wedding of their daughter, and heard it went really well last night, so continue to pray for them. And I get the opportunity to share with you this morning. My name is George Olmstead. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm just thankful for the opportunity. And uh, so this morning we're going to focus on this Christian Living series. We're going to focus on what marriage looks like within that context. And then next week, uh, one of our elders, Shane Sanders, he's going to focus on doing the same thing in parenting. And then in a couple weeks, Pastor Grant will close us out on this series with a focus on singleness. And it'll be a wonderful opportunity, wherever you are in life, to be ministered to through the Word of God and to be encouraged and equipped to live out our lives for Christ. You know, I don't know what happened in the car ride on the way here for you this morning. Maybe it was just simple, nothing happened. Maybe it was some arguing. Maybe it was like, hey, can you play a different song? I don't know. But my four-year-old daughter this morning, Gabrielle, she, uh, we had just finished a worship song, and it was fun. We were singing, and she said, hey, Dad. And I said, hey, what, Gabrielle? And she goes, hey, when, when Mom dies, great way to start out a conversation, when Mom dies... Will you remarry? What? Because I need to know if you're going to marry, remarry the evil stepmother from Cinderella. And if I need to go find mom. No clue. So I don't know how your morning started out, but that's what was on my thought as we entered the building this morning. So if I'm a little bit off, wondering when and if my wife might die today, I don't know. So, that has nothing to do with our sermon, but just thought I'd share that with you, get it off my mind. But one thing we do know this, is that in the current culture that we live in, it moves farther and far away from biblical truth and principles, right? So we thought it'd be, as a staff, it would be great to revisit these three areas of life, marriage, parenting, singleness, to make sure our foundation is scripturally solid as we begin 2022. I think it's a great idea, so I hope you join with us in that. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit that I am not the most leading expert on marriage. However, I I do have plenty of experience in what not to do if you desire to have a long until death does us part fulfilling marriage. I am very thankful, though, that the Lord has seen fit to give us his instruction book, to give us his word, so that we might not only be able but that we might have hope of how we can be confident that we are able to experience marriage within the confidence, with the confidence of biblical hope. Now, when I was a child, I remember on the playground many different times being the focus of what I consider to be a very, very mean and hateful nursery rhyme. Maybe you are familiar, maybe you suffered with me, or maybe you were the one who was being mean when you sang this song, George and Sarah... Sitting in the tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby and a baby carriage. As a young boy, I hated that song. I couldn't stand it. It made my blood boil. Girls are gross. I don't want nothing to do with them ever. Well, many years later, 
I found myself on the playground. I mean, not on the playground, sorry. Found myself on a stage experiencing exactly what that nursery rhyme was saying. I found myself before people, a large crowd of people, holding hands with a beautiful woman. Her name is Sarah. While a pastor asked her and I to exchange wedding vows. As a matter of fact, I have with me this morning a framed picture of Sarah's wedding vows to me that sits in my office and I look at it every day. I want to share with you what those vows were. We wrote our own vows and I'll explain more in a second. I, Sarah Olmstead, have found the one my heart loves. I choose you, George Olmstead, to be my husband. I promise to love you, to honor you, and to cherish you in our lives together. I promise to follow you and submit to you, trusting you in the position the Lord has given you as the spiritual leader in our relationship. I promise to support you and encourage you as my best friend and love, forsaking all others. I will not divorce you. I promise before God to be to you all that he has called me to be and to love you unconditionally until the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I look at that every day. And I'm reminded of what it was like over 18 years ago to enter into this thing called marriage. When I think about those words and how they were crafted. It was a very intentional process. Sarah and I actually laid on uh, the floor of my parents' home for hours, looking at God's Word, making sure that we were able to, to craft those words in a, to a point where they would be meaningful for many, many, many years to come. That we could look back and challenge ourselves to remember the covenant that we had made before God, with God, and with one another. In just a few moments, I'll refer back to those wedding vows and why they're so meaningful for me and Sarah. I bet many of you can think of that time and remember when you stood on the platform or the stage or the beach or wherever you were at. And you shared those vows as well. They mean something. They mean something because they are based on the Word of God. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want us to take a biblical look at how the Bible defines marriage, but then I want us to move forward to focus most of our time on how we can truly live out and experience a fruitful biblical marriage through the hope that is in Jesus. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew 19 or join with us on the screen, this will kind of be the first passage that we look at this morning. This is biblical marriage explained through the words of Jesus. In verse 3 it reads, Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning and made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no person is to separate. So we get four important details 
concerning what marriage is. Let's look at those just very quickly. First, we see that marriage was designed by God. Jesus says, do you not remember? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. We see that God's perfect design and perfect plan for marriage was instituted by him, created by him. This isn't some man-made thing. Marriage is so important that God created it, defined it, and gave us what to expect within it. So when we as a culture come to decide we want to change that, we as believers have to understand we don't get that option. We stand upon the truth of the Word of God for what marriage is and who created it, the same God who provided salvation from our sin for you and me. But not only was marriage designed by God, it was designed to be between male and female. He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. Again, when culture decides that they want to change who marriage can be between, we don't get an option to agree with culture. Instead, we have the option to follow a holy God who has made the holy plan for what a holy marriage looks like. We don't have to be mean in that or unkind. We just have to be truthful, wrapped in grace and mercy. Because we want to follow God's plan for marriage, designed by God, between male and female. And here's what he says, marriage is a unifying covenant. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. This is amazing. You are to leave mom and dad, brothers and sisters, from both sides, the husband and the wife, and you are to go and create a life of your own. You are to become the family unit now. You are to be unified physically, spiritually, emotionally, with all that is within you through Jesus Christ. For those of you hoping to be married one day, listen, it's not all about the physical It's about every part, physical, emotional, spiritual. So God says, listen, I want to unify you in the perfect way. I want to bring you together. And so when we look at that, we must take it seriously when we enter into that covenant of marriage. Of, listen, this is between you and me, George and Sarah. You fill in the blanks. And we are unifying to honor God and to live a life well-pleasing to him while doing this together. But he also says marriage is until death does you part. Therefore, what God has joined together, no person is to separate. Man, I am so thankful that God has placed that piece of Scripture because it is that piece of Scripture that has kept hope alive in my marriage with my wife. We're not to separate it. Until death does us part. So when we look at the biblical foundation of marriage, it's very plainly spelled out by Jesus Christ. What I want us to understand is, yes, there have been divorces. There have been uh, things that have happened in marriage. So I want you to understand, 
God is forgiving. He is full of grace. But he still wants his plan carried out according to his word. So if you want to hear more about this specific passage and answer the question text by text and and dig a little bit deeper into the biblical foundation of marriage, I want to reference you to our online sermon uh, on, on our website. Pastor Grant has a sermon from Mark chapter 10. He preached it on October 20th, 2019. You can look it up. You can find it. And he goes very in-depth into this cultural battle, into what biblical marriage looks like. And so it's a great resource for you to go and to, and to, and to revisit. But our purpose this morning is not to expound upon what a biblical marriage is. We've given the foundation. Our purpose this morning is living out a Christian life within that marriage. And how do we go about doing that? And so that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time on this morning. When Sarah and I were beginning our marriage, I brought with me some pretty big expectations that I had conjured up in my mind. We're going to look at the biblical marriage expectations. I had it pretty much figured out a few things. I figured out how the marriage was going to go, how the decisions were going to be made, how the money was going to be spent, and how I was going to be her knight in shining honor, on, uh, shining, uh, knight in shining honor whenever the need arose. Now, I will say this. We didn't have great premarital counseling, and I would suggest that every person goes through strong biblical premarital counseling. But I'm not sure at the place I was in my life that even the best premarriage counselor could have helped me change my mind or, or change my heart. Looking back after 18 years of marriage, I can admit that my expectations were not only unobtainable, but they were unbiblical and the source of much conflict, much hurt, much pain within the different seasons of our marriage. Man, I wish I would have had this next passage of Scripture. I wish I would have grasped it and understood it in such a way that it would have impacted me early on in my marriage. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. It reads this. Wives, submit, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not become bitter against them. The expectations within a biblical marriage are not hard to grasp. But what we can do is they are difficult to live out in our flesh But they are not difficult to understand. They are absolutely able to be lived out under and through the life transformation Jesus brings into a person's life. So when we read that passage in Colossians chapter 3, we see this. There are three expectations given for a biblical marriage. One for the wife. I guess God believes they get it quicker than we do because he gives us two instructions, husbands. The first one we see is wives be subject to to your husbands. Now listen, this is one of the most beautiful instructions written within the Word of God. Unfortunately, this has been taken out of context in so many ways and caused so much harm in marriages today. Let me address for just a second what this statement is not. This statement is not a patriarchal manifesto giving the wife absolutely no say in a marriage. It's not giving the husband the opportunity to rule with an iron fist as a dictator would. And man, I just want to speak to you for one second. If you've interpreted it in that way and have been living this out in your marriage, 
I just want you to know from the Word of God that that's sin, and it has no place for God's plan of leadership in your life or in your marriage. So what I would suggest and encourage is that you study the Word of God, you, you get around good counsel, you go, what this looks like, and repent and adjust. So what is Paul saying? Richard Malik writes this, this describes a voluntary submission which resembles that of Christian humility. The term does not suggest slavery or servitude, and it certainly never calls for the husband to make his wife submit. If he could, her heart would not be in it. What is Christian humility all about? It's about submitting to who? Jesus Christ. That's for male and female. Humility is to submit to Christ. And in this context of marriage, Paul is writing, Wife, be subject to, submit to the Lord. As you do that, out of worship, you will be able to do that to your husband. He is not God and he is not your Lord. just want to be careful there. When we think about this, Paul writes to be subject or submit in other versions. This is not a negative connotation. It's not a reference to value or worth. But instead, it's speaking to God, God giving the order and the function of the family. So let me be clear. When God created male and female, he created us equally in value and in worth. He created the female, Eve as the helpmate for the male who was Adam, who God said it was not good for him to be alone. I agree with that. It's not good for us to be alone. And God has said, I'm going to make and create someone to be with you, Adam, and her name will be called Eve. Awesome. So we see that God created both male and female with unique gifts unique qualities, unique characteristics, so that they would complement one another through those unique differences. So when we look at value and worth, women, I don't want you to see this verse as, well, God doesn't think of me this. No. He thinks of you as a beautiful, created being, just like he thinks of the man as a beautiful, created being. Male and female. Equal in value, equal in worth, but asked by God to carry out different functions and roles within the marriage. God created us equally in his eyes. Sin enters into the world through Adam. God placed those different functions, not different levels of quality, upon the husband and wife, and he calls the husband to lead and to love, and the wife to love and to submit. When Paul writes, as is fitting in the Lord, he is making it clear that this submission is an outworking of the Lordship of Christ. So how can you have a biblical marriage and live out this biblical call to wives being subject to, to husbands loving? How is that even possible? Because in our flesh, let me tell you, it's impossible. But there's something that happens in one's life. It's when they understand that they are in need of a Savior. 
and they repent of their sin, and they trust in Jesus Christ, and they become a believer in him, in all his truths, in all his principles, and he changes them from the inside out, and he puts two believers together and says, hey, let's live in the order that God has called you to do. I love it. It's his plan, so we know it's a perfect plan. We know it's a good plan. We know it's a plan that can be lived out. It's part It happens through that salvation of one willing to be submissive to the Lord to live out marriage in the way he created it. It's carried out as part of the Christian order and function given roles within the marriage. So that's from the wife's perspective as Paul is writing, but then we come to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Our first expectation is to love our wives And Paul explains this in great length in Ephesians 5. And here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to spend time in Ephesians 5 for one reason is that uh, Pastor Grant's going to be going through the book of Ephesians sometime at this year. And we're going to spend a lot of time in this. And so we'll get some great look into it. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. I would love every husband to read Ephesians chapter 5 every day this week. Every day this week. Why? So that you can fully begin to grasp or be reminded or be encouraged of what it means to love your wife. What we'll see is we are called to love our wife, whether it's in Ephesians or in Colossians, as Christ loves the church, which he gave his life for. The, he, he is the ultimate sacrifice. He the, gives the greatest of all love for the church. And he tells us as men to love our wives as Christ loves the church. So loving our wives is not this. It's not lusting our wife. It's not loving our wife. Uh, it's not making her an idol. Can I tell you, there have been moments in my marriage where I have placed Sarah in the position where God should be, and, and I'm trying to please her and trying to make her happy and trying to give her the things of the world. And, and when I have Sarah on a pedestal where Christ should be, can I tell you, we are the furthest thing from what a biblical marriage should be. Because I am not worshiping God, my Savior. I'm putting her as an idol saying, well, if you're happy, then I'll be happy. And that's the furthest thing from the truth because if I need to make sure that I am pleasing God, that's the key. When I please God and I have everybody in the proper place and proper position, guess what? Our marriage is lived out according to Christ. When we think about this, it's not... Lusting your wife, it's not making her an idol. Loving your wife is leading her. Loving our wife is desiring true intimacy. And I want you to write that word down. True intimacy in which we truly know one another. What does that look like? We know the ins and the outs. We know one another in the deepest parts of one another's souls. We know the hurts. We know the pains. We know the struggles. We also know the joys. We've experienced the victories. We know the comforts. We know the goals. We know the dreams. And we know the spiritual growth that has taken place in one another. Knowing one another intimately. This is what loving our our wife looks like. It's about the spiritual, the physical, the emotional, all coming together and saying, listen, I want to know you. I want to love you, all of you. I want to be so transparent and so uh, before you that you know what hurts me, you know what drives me, 
And what I hope you see is that it's wrapped around Jesus Christ. Husbands, love your wives. But then he says this. This is interesting. Husbands, do not become bitter towards your wives. What in the world? I think every husband and wife knows exactly what this means. When we are not loving our spouse well, I'm going to say this, they can become very irritating very quickly. Some of you laugh because you know. Others acting like you don't. It's okay, you do. Husbands, when the focus becomes us. Now, he sells this to the husbands. So husbands, we've got to listen. When the focus becomes us and not the Lord, when the focus becomes selfishness instead of selflessness, it's impossible to love our wife as Christ loved the church. It's impossible. And when it becomes about us, we can get pretty irritated very quickly due to the fact that we start dwelling on what? The flaws? Or we start dwelling on our needs and desires not being met? Or the little things that only irritate us and we only bring up when we're not focusing on the Lord? We're intentionally loving our wife well. He gives us a scripture. He understands how, how being together, husbands and wives, constantly, how without keeping him the focus, life's going to be pretty irritating. Because we're going to focus on everything but him. Three instructions given to us as to what is expected within a biblical marriage. Wife, be subject to your husband. Husbands, love your wife and don't become bitter toward her. Now, many marriages, they wonder why they find themselves in a very difficult and rough season. And I would suggest, based on the truth of God's Word, they find themselves there because the expectations being lived out are not biblical. Instead, they're on what we want for our marriage or what we best think will fit our marriage. No, no. God has this in store. We follow him. It's his marriage that we've been invited to be a part of with the one we love. Man, that's awesome. So, you see the foundation this morning? We see there's some very simple expectations that in the flesh are difficult to live out, but through the Spirit are able to be lived out. But what we want to see this morning before we get to the end of our sermon is this. Biblical marriage experienced. There are many of us in this room that are currently married. There are others that have been married and are now widowed. There are others who have been married and divorced. Maybe others who, have, um, who, who desire to be married one day. And I think it's safe to, to make this following statement. You will never understand what it takes to be married until you've experienced it. Listen, I've led many couples through pre-marriage counseling. I've tried to impart some wisdom and some experience upon them. And, and I just kind of sit back and watch their expressions and listen to them tell me that they're in love. And they've got it all figured out. And then I do my six-month follow-up after the wedding. And then they look at me and say, okay, we're ready to listen. Why? Because they've experienced it. Marriage is a beautiful thing, but it's not a bed of roses all the time. The purpose of the sermon 
today is to do this, to encourage each of us who are married or one day will be married to understand there is only one way that we can truly experience a fruitful, healthy, biblical marriage. And a passage that points us to that is found in Ecclesiastes 4.12. And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. But here it is. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. I brought something else with me today. Kind of cool. So this is what my wife presented to me along with a letter I'll show you in a second uh, on our wedding day. And it's a cord wrapped around her purity ring. Pretty cool. Uh, I don't know how you feel about those things or not, but on that day that was really cool. And she presented that to me, and I've kept this in my side drawer next to my bed throughout our whole marriage. And there's days I just kind of pull it out and I look at it and it just reminds me that the only hope to purity is Jesus. <laughs> but the only way that our marriage is going to sustain and be healthy and holy and fruitful is if that cord is Jesus and Sarah and I are wrapped around him. Not Sarah and I wrapped around ourselves and, and Jesus gets to come down the middle, no. We wrap ourselves around Jesus. And then he gives us the marriage that he's called us to have. Listen, the reality is there's no perfect marriage. And if you're attempting to live a perfect marriage, can I tell you, you're, it involves two imperfect people, so it's impossible. So please stop trying to live a perfect marriage. You're going to be frustrated. But you can live out a holy biblical marriage. You know, within marriage, there's going to be very good days and very bad days. There's going to be days where you both feel as if you can conquer the world together. And there are days that you don't even want to be in the same room together. After the first service, I had a sweet lady who's been married for 60-something years said, man, there are times that I would just want to drive him to the overpass and say, figure it out, buddy. She said, but man, we had so many good days. You know, there's also going to be days that you fail one another, days you let each other down, but there's also those days that you will surprise each other with how kind and loving and nurturing and fun you can be towards one another. The enemy does not want marriages to be successful because a marriage that is truly successful is a marriage that is honoring God. It's a marriage that is truly a representation of Christ and His church. So when we read in Ecclesiastes of the three-strand cord, we learn of the true source of hope in living out a godly marriage. That cord consists of three strands, God, the husband, and the wife. This past Christmas, as you know, and New Year's, we spent a lot of time here at Fellowship talking about hope is born and how to live with this hope. And we identified that the name of hope is Jesus. And he's that living hope that transforms the lives of sinners. But listen, he's also the living hope that will transform your marriage into what he desires for it to be. For some of you, your marriage has been lived out well with Jesus at the center, and I encourage you to pour in to people who are struggling in their marriage and pour into younger couples and pour into people that need to know that Jesus is the hope. There are others who Jesus has been so far removed in your marriage that you just really are at the point of saying, I don't know, is this even worth it? And for others, it's just a daily working out of keeping Jesus at the center. Can I tell you, that's where I'm at. Jesus at the center, Jesus at the center. And God, you'll do the rest. 
I want to close this morning with a word of encouragement through just a moment of transparency. And at the first of the sermon, I told you we would reference these wedding vows again. And it's time to, to do that. And I told you that those vows mean so much to Sarah and I because, one, they're based on the Word of God. Two, we look back and see how we've experienced how God uses His Word in our lives to allow us to be reminded daily that our marriage is His marriage as we've made that covenant over 18 years ago. Now, I want you to understand today, Sarah and I, we, we have a healthy marriage. It is by far not perfect, but it's healthy. We're in a season of, of, of communication and intimacy that we have just kind of recently discovered and experienced in the past five years of our marriage. Because seven years ago, we found ourselves in just a very dark and desperate time in our marriage. Here's the thing. I'll set the stage for you. I was actually serving on staff as an associate pastor. She's uh, leading worship. She's serving as the women's ministry uh, director at the church. We're busy doing ministry. We're busy serving others. But let me tell you what we weren't busy doing. We were not busy growing and pursuing our personal relationship with Jesus, nor with one another. So the previous two to four years, we just found ourselves constantly arguing, constantly not communicating, fighting, being hateful, uh, being unkind towards one another, showing no grace, showing no mercy. And, and we were constantly apologizing uh, uh, for the same things over and over and over again. We would attend a marriage conference. We would go to a counseling session. We would, we would do everything. And in everywhere we went, do you know what we were told? Jesus must be in the center. And we were just so stubborn enough to know better that we didn't need to put him there. And you know what happened? Our problems consisted, uh, con continued. I remember there was a day when Sarah and I had just had a knockout, dragout argument. It was one of the most hateful and vile situations we'd ever been in. Things that we had said that I have repented for, and it was just ugly. And she was sitting on our bed, and I was standing near the closet, and just in a very calm voice, I just simply looked at her and I said, Sarah, do you want a divorce? Do you just want to move on and away from this misery? Our two boys were laying in their beds in the other room. I'll never forget her answer with tears streaming down her face. She just nodded her head and said yes. I had never said it out loud to this day. But in my heart, if she would have asked me that same question, as much as I want to say I would have said no, I probably would have said yes in that moment too. A word I never thought would enter our conversations. We stood on the platform and coveted before God, I will not divorce you. That night, we laid in our bed and we held each other like we had never held each other before. We're just crying. We fell asleep. I woke up the next morning. I just went to the office like nothing had happened. Then a daze, and I sat in my desk just staring in a, in a daze, and I glanced at my bookshelf, and I saw the picture of the frame and the letter. Pretty cool frame. I've already showed you this letter's been through war, it looks like. Uh, this is what she attached to this. And I can't get her to rewrite it because we can't read everything it says. But the parts that stick out are the ones that mean so much. And what that was is just a reiteration of how much she hoped our marriage would be, a marriage bathed in the love of Christ pursuing him, 
And man, we had just gotten so far away from that. Anyways, I left work that day. I took the frame home. I took this letter home with me. And as we were getting ready for bed, I knelt down at the side of the bed and asked Sarah to read it. And as she read it, I asked her this. I said, hey, can we just give this decision 90 days? Let's just stop. And she agreed with that. And she began, that, that just began our journey to where we are today. Listen, our, our issues and our problems were not solved in those 90 days, but let me tell you what happened. The hope and promise of Jesus was rekindled in our marriage through a lot of intentionality and counseling and the Word of God. We find ourselves in a place where we are continuously healing, but man, we are so much more in love with Jesus which has caused us to be so much more in love with one another. As a matter of fact, seven months after setting those 90 days aside to pray and to work together on our marriage, we found out we were pregnant with Gabrielle. And so she's not only my little princess, she's my sweet little baby girl that reminds me daily what God can do in restoring a relationship. A relationship with him and within a marriage. Why do I share this with you this morning? Listen, I could give you 27 steps to a successful marriage. I could provide you resource after resource to some of the best sermons in the world on marriage, a lot better than what you've heard today, I promise, and books that can tell you how to work on your marriage. But I'm going to tell you this. I've experienced a biblical marriage, and the answer is Jesus. I'm not saying resources don't help, but I'm telling you, if it doesn't start with Jesus, the hope's not there. As a matter of fact, Jesus truly is the answer. He's the resource. He's the hope of living out a fruitful marriage that exemplifies how Christ loves the church. George, that's not the answer I want to hear today. Well, I can tell you this. I can't give you a better one. The best piece of advice I ever received during the healing process was this. It's from a dear counselor of mine. I'm so thankful of his heart for Christ. He looked at me dead in the eye and he said, George, until you start focusing on your relationship with Jesus and you quit trying to figure out how you're going to change Sarah and get her relationship with Jesus where you think it needs to be, you will never have a restored and fruitful marriage. Ouch. But so true. Listen, as much as I love Sarah and love being married to her, God did not call me to change her. He called me to love her. And when I love her well, it's amazing to sit back and watch how God is changing her into the wife and the woman he desires for her to be. I'm telling you guys and gals, listen, it's about Jesus. So wherever you are in your marriage this morning, I want you to know that there is hope. His name is Jesus. He deserves and desires to have a personal growing relationship with you so that you may have hope in him that your marriage will be fruitful in what it was intended to be. I'll leave you with this challenge. In every marriage, both the husband and the wife must pursue a growing, nurturing relationship with Jesus to experience a truly fruitful and dynamic marriage. So here's what we can do today. You may be in a great season of marriage. You may be in a season that you're like, I want out. Or you might be somewhere in between. But can I tell you, take the next spiritual growth step in your marriage today, and that's to fall more in love with Jesus, get in his word, point others to him, including your spouse. And then come alongside some great 
Christian counselors and some resources and know that when Jesus is in the middle, you have all the hope you ever need. Can we pray this morning? God, we love you.